It's good to see everybody out this happy Father's Day. Obviously, it's, it, it is, I mean, maybe different from Mother's Day. I, as a dad, I'd say we, we don't need the accolades or the celebration per se. Thanks. Um, you know, having children is easy. Being a dad is hard. Doing the work is, is a lot harder, and uh, it's a work that never ends. And, and actually, the ministry of discipleship and, and, and doing the ministry of the Lord, it's, it's parenting, isn't it? It's leading others. And uh, so, you know, it's a good reminder, I guess, for all of us. Well, good morning again, and welcome to First Baptist Church. If uh, you're a guest with us, we're particularly glad that you're here Um, I invite you to come back another time. Our senior pastor, Troy, is out of town. He's actually preaching in a church, the church that he came from, Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs, Missouri, this morning. He was away all week preaching at a camp, and uh, from what I understand, that went very well. So he's in Missouri. He'll be coming back this week. He'll be back again next week. But we are in a series going through the book of Acts, and we're going to continue in that series in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up. To Acts chapter 5. We left off at verse 11. We'll be picking it up at verse number 12 in just a minute. But as you're getting ready for that, let me kind of set the stage just by giving you kind of some perspective. Um, For those of you that come faithfully and are here during the 9 a.m. Bible study hour, uh, I've been systematically working through the entire Bible. Tom has been filling in for me when I'm not here, so great job, Tom, today, as well as all the other times he's done. But it's been a systematic walking through all the books of the Bible. And when you do that, you get some perspective on a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't get if you don't read through the Bible regularly. So, for example, let me, let me present it to you this way. The story of the Bible really is, this is no surprise to anybody, a story of good and evil. Right? It's the, sto- it's the struggle for power and authority. We often say that it's the story of a kingdom. And who's going to rule that kingdom? Is it going to be God? Is it going to be Satan? And your life, who's going to rule your life? Is it going to be Jesus? Is it going to be you? Right? So one way that you can look at the Bible is a story that goes back and forth between God moving and Satan countering what God is doing. It's kind of like a chess match. The white piece moves first and the black piece moves a counter move and, and so the game progresses. And that's the way it is in the Bible. It's a constant back and forth with God moving and doing something great and then Satan doing something to counter that move and then God moving again. And and you could track this all through the Scriptures. Let me just give you a a brief idea from the very beginning, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And immediately after that, In the white space between verse number one and verse number two, what we find through other study is that this is the time chronologically when Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub, fell into sin and becomes Satan. And he falls into sin and he falls into pride. He desires to rule with God. You can read about that in Isaiah 14. And this led to a judgment. And that's what you read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2 where it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was a judgment on the sin of the counter move of Lucifer. Well then what does God do starting in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 3 and to the end of Genesis chapter 1? God recreates the universe in six literal 24-hour days. What a great act. Well, then Satan immediately shows up in the garden and tempts Eve and sin ensues. Then God shows up in the garden and he provides coats of skins to cover their nakedness. And then the next chapter, Cain, who the Bible says was of that wicked one, kills his brother Abel etc., etc., and you can follow the narrative all the way through. Well, it's the same way when you come through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is laid out the exact same way. So it starts out with the, the ascension of Jesus Christ and Pentecost in chapter number 2, and many people get saved, and in Acts chapter 3, the healing of the beggar at the temple, right? But then what happens in Acts chapter 4? We just spent some time studying that. The priests and the Sadducees, 
they put Peter and John in jail. But then at the end of Acts chapter 4, God gives great boldness to the apostles. And a whole bunch of more people get saved. And then last week we saw the beginning, and this is the setup for today. The first 11 verses of chapter number 5, we see the first recorded sin in the early church. And it's a sin of hypocrisy, of pretense, right? As Satan attempts to divide this young body, not from without, but from within. So as we go into the next set of verses, what would you expect the next thing to be? Well, you would expect the next thing to be for God to do some great things, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what we're going to see. So if you'll follow along, we're just going to look at four or five verses here, starting in verse 12 and go down to verse number 16. And it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. So imagine the scene, right? If you're reading through Acts chapter 5, the people are freaked out. They just watched two people drop dead right in front of them for lying. Now, I don't know about you, but we're all liars, kind of, sometimes, right? So everybody's like, dang. So, you know, they're undoubtedly nervous, right? So you come out of that scene in the first 11 verses, and verse number 12, you should pay attention to the words and the grammar, begins with the conjunction and. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Well, apparently among the signs and wonders that were wrought among the people were the ability to kill people. Like among them were some, you know, them saying, okay, well, that's it for you. And that's it. Their spirit, you know, they gave up the ghost. It was over. So we shouldn't be surprised to keep reading in verse number 13 where it says, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them. Uh, I think the people in the crowd were counting the cost, don't you? I think the people in the crowd were beginning to think, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to join up with these guys. These guys don't play. And I mean, it's fair. Last week, Troy pointed out how great fear leads to great growth. And, and certainly, we're going to see that played out even more in this passage where multitudes were saved, right? But remember, it's God's turn to do something great. Where are they located in this story? It says in the last part of verse number 12, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Why is that detail important? Well, that's the same place, if you flip back to chapter 3 and verse number 11, where the beggar was healed. That was this first miracle that really got the attention of everybody of what God was doing through these apostles. That's where he then is the exact same location where he's again now using the apostles to heal multitudes of people. Now let's make it real practical before we get into the details of our study today because in most churches, truly, the majority of prayer requests that are submitted for people to pray are for loved ones that are sick. And, and that's no exception in our church. We get requests from you all weekly and, and many of them are for loved ones who are sick and who are needing healing and recovery and and whatnot, and, and there's people in our church that are at the top of the list, and if I start listing people, I'll forget somebody, and I don't want to offend anybody, but like the Reichert family, we've all been praying for Andreas, and, and there's just list goes on and on of people that are really needy, and it's very important that, you know, they're sick, they're suffering, they want God to touch them, they want their loved one to be healed, they want something to happen, and, 
And maybe if you've been in church for a long time and you've heard or you get these lists of prayer requests that seem endless, everybody knows somebody who has some need and so frequently it's people who are sick because, well, these old bodies are dying. Sometimes you run the risk of becoming dull of hearing and maybe not always valuing how very important that prayer request really is. If you've been around here for a while, you know that a couple of years ago, I went through a fairly severe health scare. I almost lost my life a couple of times within one month. And man, I, I can't express to you how thankful I am for all of you that prayed for me and how God answered and did what he did. But that brings us to this issue in this passage of Scripture. It's the issue of healing in the Bible. And I find that the issue of the study of healing in the Bible is so often misunderstood. And so as a result, it makes for a very interesting Bible study. We have a lot of charismatic churches across our country that often emphasize God's offer of good health. And by the way, they also emphasize God's offer of wealth and prosperity. Um, but they say that that's a part of the atonement, that, that's part and parcel with the atonement. And what they'll do is they'll quote places like 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Actually, one of the songs referenced it. It says, And who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. And then this phrase we're all familiar with, By whose stripes ye were healed. But does that mean that healing, physical health, and prosperity is included in the atonement when you get saved? Is that right? Why is it that some people pray for miraculous healing of their body and, and they see it, it happens? And other people, we're not judging them, they pray just as fervently and it doesn't happen. What about all those healing crusades? I mean, what about all those things? How can we make sense of that? Well, the title I've given today's message, it's in your notes, is, is uh, Healing is Available. Healing is Available. And so today what I want to do is look at this next event in Acts chapter 5 and see what we can learn about it. So let's just take a second. Let's ask God to bless our study and then we'll get into our outline. Heavenly Father, again, as we just go through these verses of Scripture, I pray that you'll help us to see and to learn and to understand exactly what you'd have for us to see and to learn and to understand. God, I know that myself included, all of us either today or tomorrow or with loved ones that we know and care about uh, cross this bridge where people are sick and suffering and, and needing some healing, needing some help. Our bodies are frail. And God, I pray that you'd teach us your truth because if we'll know the truth, the truth will make us free and, and we can walk in victory and joy and understand how you act and not come away disappointed if it doesn't happen to us but it happens to somebody else and and how does all that play together so God I pray that you'd bless this time in our in your word and that you'd get the glory for it we pray in Jesus name amen all right the first point in your outline and we're going to walk through this is the history of healing I want to take a little journey and give you a quick history of how this works its way through the Bible it starts off in verse number 12 by saying and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Now that's actually going to be significant, and we'll get back to that in just a second. Historically, if you just follow the chronology of the Bible, like we've been walking through it at 9 a.m., there have only been three recorded times in all of human history where God pours out in multitude, right, miracles and signs and wonders, which would include healing. And he does it in an abundant way, in, in, in a miraculous way, where it's just abundantly being poured out. And it's only happened three times. It's never been normal throughout history at all times of history for people to see or expect supernatural healing from God. And those three times are in your outline. The first one, letter A, during the days of Moses. Now, everybody knows about the story of Moses when he was in Egypt and the children of Israel were slaves under Pharaoh. And everybody's familiar with the plagues that were poured out in Egypt to set the children of Israel free. And, and if you're not familiar with that, go back to the beginning of the book of Exodus and read through. But, but the, when the days of Moses were going on, just for reference, this is about 1,400 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, about 1,400 B.C., 
And, and if you just look at the ten plagues that were poured out, there's no healing involved. In fact, kind of like Acts 5, 1 through 11, there was the death of the firstborn that was the final plague that ultimately set Israel free, right? So you don't necessarily see healing involved in that unless you continue to follow Moses and the children of Israel into the wilderness and the establishment of the tabernacle and the set up, setting up of the priesthood where you found the miraculous healing of leprosy. Now you did see that. But all I want to point out to you is that I want you to understand that before the time of Moses and the Exodus, you never read of miracles during the days of Adam or Enoch or Noah or Abraham or the patriarchs. And, and actually, that's the entire book of Genesis. And, and actually, that covers 2,600 years of human history. And then the days of Moses. Well, after the days of Moses, you never read of abundant miracles throughout the times of the judges or the kings, not David, not Solomon, the pinnacle of Israel's existence. With the exception, you eventually get into the kings. The next time in history that we have an abundance of miracles being demonstrated, and this is the next letter B in your outline, it's the days of Elijah. Now the days of Elijah come about 550 years later, roughly about 850 B.C. Elijah is the prophet that performed, if you're counting, eight specific miracles throughout his ministry. And Elisha, his predecessor, who asked for the double portion of, of the spirit that was on Elijah, at the end of his ministry had exactly double the amount of miracles. Sixteen miracles performed under Elisha's ministry. And among those, Elijah, for example, had the healing of the child of the widow of Zarephath, where he raised him from the dead in 1 Kings 17. And in Elisha's day, he did likewise with the dead son of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. And so you have the second time in history. But after that, after the time of Elijah or Elisha, you don't read of those kinds of miracles in the ministries of any of the other prophets. You don't read of that kind of behavior during Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, or Malachi. You don't read about it any, through any of those people. And that continues on for 600 years until you get the next time in history, which is, let us see, the days of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the apostles following him. So, obviously, and this is a, a very brief summary just to set, some, set, set a standard, Jesus Christ's earthly ministry was full of miracles and healing of many various people in many various ways. He responded to people's faith sometimes. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he spits on the ground, makes clay of the dirt, puts it on the blind eyes, and they see. Sometimes he just speaks a word, and people are healed. Sometimes somebody can come up and just touch the hem of his garment, and they could be healed. Various ways, various things, and, and they all mean something, and that's not my point this morning. But what I want to point out is, is that well, you should expect that during the days of Jesus Christ because after all, he's described for us by the prophet Malachi in chapter number 4 and verse number 2 as the son of righteousness who's going to arise with healing in his wings. So he is certainly the great physician. And certainly just as the miracles continued after Moses into the time of Joshua and after Elijah into the time of Elisha, it, the miraculous healing continued after Jesus into the ministry of the apostles. And that's important for you to understand because that's where we're coming back to in Acts chapter 5. By the hands, not of every believer, but by the hands of the apostles were many miracles wrought among the people. Uh, notice, for example, in Mark chapter 16, and we often read the end of Mark 16 or Mark's version of the Great Commission, but I want you to notice the immediate audience of Mark 16 starts in verse 14, where it says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven, 
Now Judas Iscariot is out of the picture. There's only 11 apostles that are with him, right? He appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat. Verse 15 says, and he said unto them. So Jesus is speaking to a very confined audience. And he begins to give them that version of the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel to every creature, right? And then he goes on and he continues with what some people, especially the Baptist crowd, considers a controversial passage of scripture but in context it's very easily understood verse 17 among the things Jesus is saying to these 11 and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name they shall cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover who are the they in the direct context the they are the apostles that's who they are and by the way, you can take every one of those signs and miracles that Jesus said would happen through them and track them all as occurring in the book of Acts. With the only exception of the drinking deadly poison. You don't see that in the book of Acts. But in the list Jesus gives in Mark 16, it's the only one that says, and if they drink deadly poison. So that one you don't actually see in print in the book of Acts, but all the rest are fulfilled in the book of Acts. That's what we see. And so the history of healing is important. And what I want you to learn from this, as this last statement in this section of your notes is, miraculous healing is not normative for today and should not be expected. It's not normative. You shouldn't expect that just because you're saved, you're going to be healthy. You shouldn't expect that just because you're a believer that you can be healed or you can heal somebody else because it's never been that way throughout history right and so again since the day of jesus and the apostles we're we're a good two thousand years in now since that time right and 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 if you took the time there's specific reasons why moses why elijah why jesus okay but at the end of the day the history is clear three times in history and that's it. Okay, so that sets the stage for our next point of study. We're, we're doing Bible study today, right? I hope you came ready for Bible study. The next point is the doctrine of healing. And this is what you got to get. So we got the history. Now we're going to get the doctrine. I'll let you guess what that third one's going to be. We'll wait and see. Because the doctrine is where people get messed up today. They read about what Jesus did when he was here on earth and they misapply verses like Hebrews 13, 8 that say Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever, thinking that miraculous healing continues the same just as it did in Jesus' day until today. But it can't mean that. It can't mean that Jesus does all the same things the same way. It can't possibly mean that. Is Jesus still a baby? Um, Ricky Bobby thinks so, but no. Is, is Jesus still hanging crucified on a cross like he's depicted in every Catholic church across this world? No, he's not still hanging crucified on a cross. Is Jesus Christ still unaware of the date of his second coming like he was back in the Gospels when he said nobody knows the day or the hour, not even the Son, only the Father? I would say to you, no, he is not any more unaware as he was back then. For a reason, by the way, and the reason was the free will choice of the nation of Israel hadn't been accomplished yet. What it literally means is that he is who he is regardless of time or circumstance. The, the verse doesn't say Jesus Christ acts the same or serves the same or does the same yesterday, today, and forever. It just says Jesus Christ, the same. He is the same, right? He is God. But we've already seen that that hasn't been the case throughout all history with time and how things play out. So what does the New Testament have to say about healing? And what should we be able to expect in the church age? Well, there's some things that you have to know. You just need to know these things, okay? So for Many of you are good Bible students. This will be a review, and we're not going to take a ton of time. But the first one, letter A, is healing is a spiritual gift. 
It's a spiritual gift. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, again, to be very clear, the book of 1 Corinthians, this is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, the Gentile church of Jesus Christ. He's writing to a New Testament local church. And he says in verse number 9, in lining out the various gifts of the Spirit that are given to believers, it says in verse 9, and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So it is without question a spiritual gift. You can jump down to verse 28 and it says, and God hath set some in the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. So it is a spiritual gift and it is not the most important. It's down the line somewhere. That's absolutely true. And in verse number 30 of that chapter, it says, have all the gifts of healing and it goes on with other gifts. Does everybody speak with tongues? Is everybody this? Is everybody that? And they're rhetorical questions with the obvious answer being, no, of course not. Not everybody is going to have the gift of healing. So it's not for everybody, even, even when it was operative. So we learn from the scriptures that it's a spiritual gift. But specifically, and this is letter B to continue our study of the doctrine, it's an apostolic gift. It's, it's a spiritual gift that was given to the apostles. This is very important. So again, Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought. If you've been paying attention in the study in the book of Acts, you can be reminded of Acts chapter 2 and verse 43 where it says, And many wonders and signs were done by all believers? No, by the apostles. By the apostles. Well, that's important. Because the Bible's clear that these miraculous gifts, they were never intended for everyone, but for the apostles and for the apostolic era, the first century, not even the entirety of the first century, actually, as we'll see in a second. The Bible says various things. This is a reminder for a lot of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Again, this is, this is church-age doctrine. It says the Jews require a sign. And actually, miraculous healing was a sign. Okay, that's another study, but, but it was among the miraculous gifts. So it says the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, church, because if you are a son of God, you are no longer a Jew or a Greek, a Gentile, right? You're now a son of God. There's three groups of people in the Bible rightly dividing the scriptures. You need to know who you're talking to. So you have the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. We, church, we don't need signs and we don't need to seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. And unto the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, that seems crazy. That's foolishness. You can get into the book of Hebrews. And again, that should give you a tip who it's written to. But nevertheless, this is important. Chapter number 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Well, who were them that heard him? Well, those were the apostles. God also bearing them, the apostles, witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So the Apostle Paul, who was a legitimate apostle, although not one of the original 12, is able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse number 12, truly the signs of an apostle, because signs are connected to apostles, were wrought among you, in other words, through me, in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So now we go back to Acts chapter 5 when the apostles started healing everyone. Well, it's a, it's a big deal. Obviously, it's getting everybody's attention. There's no question about it. The, the general population of people, while they're seeing these things happen, they're, they're excited. 
And if you notice in the scriptures, the last part of verse number 12, all the way to the end of verse 14, are written in parentheses. That means that you can take the first part of verse 12 and it logically connect directly into verse 15. Now, 12b through 14, that's important. We're going to look at that. But the first part of 12 can roll directly into verse 15. So you can say, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought. Verse 15, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now, let me be clear with you this morning, there's actually no evidence whatsoever that the shadow of Peter being cast over this sick person actually ever healed anyone. But that's what they were thinking. And can you blame them, really? Um, it's like, it's like the, the, the widow woman who came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. If I can just, if I can just get close to these guys... Maybe something will happen. My son has been sick his whole life. My husband, my wife been sick their whole lives. If I can just get them out close to these people, maybe something will happen. Hoping, right? So you can't blame them for wanting to do that. Verse 16 goes on and it says, There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And it says, And they were healed. Every one. And by the way, that's what you would expect when someone has the legitimate gift of healing. They would heal every one. Nothing like you see these money-grubbing charlatans performing on healing crusades on TV where only internal sicknesses are, are cured. Something that can't necessarily be confirmed. Oh, you know, I had, I had real bad pain. Oh, the pain's gone. Oh, all right. Did you have pain? I don't know. He said he did. Is it gone? I don't know. He said it was. Um, their favorite one is, is the leg lengthening. Oh, my legs are... Chiropractors can do that. That's not... I can, I, can, I can kind of make my hips go... I mean, you know, the leg lengthening thing, like that's a thing with them. And, and I, you know, I, I, I would enjoy an extended conversation telling you of experiences of lies and failures that I've even witnessed. When I was in Albania, there was a popular charismatic healing group out of Tulsa, Oklahoma that put on a stadium crusade in Tirana where I lived in the, excuse me, in the early years. And, and, and the Albanians, poor, you know, they didn't know, and, and, and a lot of sick people, wheelchairs, whatever, and they're bringing these people into the stadium, and, and, I, and, I, and I went there, and I watched, and all, and they, you know, and they prayed and jumped and danced around and waved their arms and shouted hallelujah and whatever they did, and all these people left in wheelchairs and crutches and were discouraged and mad and upset, and who are they blaming? Are they blaming the liars? They're blaming God because of these guys. And then a couple of months later, I happened to find the four-color glossy flyer that was printed in a magazine advertising the massive success of this healing crusade in Tirana, Albania. It was all a lie. It's all a lie. Always asking for your money. Listen, they'll tell you that if you didn't get, if you didn't get healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Could there be a clearer definition of adding insult to injury? Oh, you're injured. Oh, and by the way, you don't even have enough faith. It's horrible. It was an apostolic gift, y'all. Letter number C, therefore, this one rolls out of, of the other two. It's a temporary gift. It's a temporary gift. It was for a specific time. Now, if you've never studied the issue of spiritual gifts, we offer a class. It's in our ministry tools and training curriculum, which you'll be hearing more about over the summer. You can sign up. We'll start another semester in the fall, and, and you can learn. One of the classes is on spiritual gifts, and it studies 1 Corinthians 12 in detail, and it studies why some of those are of the miraculous nature and temporary, 
and why some of those are more of an edifying nature and are permanent. But what's interesting to note in a study of the New Testament and the subject of healing is that the word healing doesn't appear at all in any other of Paul's epistles to the church. You don't, after 1 Corinthians 12 and that gift for the apostles in the apostolic era, you don't see it again in the Bible until Hebrews and James. So the doctrine of the church age, which is defined by the letters written by the Apostle Paul, didn't mention healing beyond the apostolic age. And by the time we get to the end of Paul's life, which is estimated about 67 A.D., literally only about 35 years after the crucifixion, in his final epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 20, Paul says, Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. That means Paul was with Trophimus. And Paul left, and Trophimus was sick, and Paul didn't heal him. He couldn't heal him. The gift came, and the gift, was, the gift was running out. The gift of healing was gone. He already told the Corinthians that he had demonstrated all the signs of the apostle in front of him. But by the end of his life and ministry, he didn't have the ability to do that. Go a little further down the chrono chronological line, and by the time the apostle John writes... Roughly 90 A.D., all the other apostles are now dead. And John is the last one. And in 3 John, only has one chapter, verse number 2, he says this. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. John has to wish for their good health. Because he's got nothing in him that can change it. He can't do anything to change it. So he wished it was that way, just like we wish for all of you good health. That doesn't mean that God doesn't still heal people physically from time to time, which we will see in a minute. It just means that there's no more people with the spiritual gift of being a healer. And that's important for you to understand. Because if there were they'd be clearing out all the hospitals. They wouldn't be on TV asking you for money. So what do you need to know about that? Well, you need to know that God did special things through special people at a special time. That's the truth. That's the teaching. That's what you need to know about healing. God did special things through special people, the apostles, at a special time in the first century. But God certainly can and God certainly does heal people miraculously today. It does happen. I would be a fool to try and stand here and say that it doesn't. Maybe some of you have experienced it personally, maybe through loved ones that you've prayed for. Legitimate situations where somebody was diagnosed with medical evidence that they were ill, tumor, cancer, whatever the case might be. They prayed. They then went back. They were diagnosed free of all the disease. Well, give glory to God. He deserves that. He answers prayer, absolutely. So our final point, if you haven't already figured it out, is the practice of healing. Anytime we study the Scriptures, we're going to have three applications to the Scriptures. There's going to be a historical application, there's going to be a doctrinal application, and there's going to be a practical or a devotional application. And so that's how we're breaking down this study of healing Today, and really, this is where we live. We live in the practical application of the Scriptures. Now, you have to make the right practical application as it never can, it can never violate the doctrinal teaching. If you try and make a practical application contrary to a doctrinal teaching, well, you're off on your own. Uh, if you try and say, well, I mean, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, and they healed, so I'm going to heal. Well, that's contrary to the doctrine, so guess what? It doesn't work for you very well. But if you make the right kind of practical application, well, that's what's most important to us because we need to know how we need to live. That's why we're here today. And we can't always know 
when or how or why God might heal somebody or not. But God just does it sometimes. And other times he doesn't. And it isn't based on your faith. So we have to look at the answers, various versions of the answers to this simple question. What should you do when you get sick? This isn't really that hard, but there, there are some very important things for us to learn. What should you do when you get sick? Now, these are not in any particular order. Do this first. Do, do them in whatever order you feel like you need to do them, okay? But the first one, we'll just say letter A. What do we do systematically? We're going to look at it systematically. Well, the answer is go to the doctor. <laughs> you didn't need to come to church to learn that. But, you know, hey, the Bible even says so. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 and verse 31. It says, Them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Um, wait a minute. Jesus could heal everybody. But what did he say? He said, um, yeah, sick people need to go to the doctor. <laughs> That's what they need to do. Okay, well, Luke, it was referred to earlier that Luke is called in Colossians 4.14 the beloved physician. If you study the Bible, you know Luke was, was an MD, right? And Luke traveled together with the Apostle Paul. And we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Doesn't matter, you can jot those down if you care. But he traveled together with the Apostle Paul. He said, only Luke is with me. Uh, Paul, we know, suffered from some kind of a problem physically. He called it a thorn in the flesh, right? He had this thorn in his flesh. So that probably wasn't, you know, we'll pull it out. No, it probably wasn't. It was some sort of an infirmity that he couldn't get relief from. He called it a thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And if you continue to read verses 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians 12, he prayed unto God three times and God said, my grace is sufficient. What God basically said, Paul prayed that God would heal his condition and God said, no, I'm not doing that. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, right, works in your weakness. So I'm going to let you be weak for a while so that I can get more glory. And you need to recognize the fact that there are times when God can, sadly for our, for our lives sometimes, get more glory from our demonstration of strength and faith in Him through infirmity. Nobody wants that, but that's the case. God refused to heal Paul himself. But before we move on from this point, and I, and I mean this sincerely, aren't you thankful for the medical profession? I mean, I am. Look, you... You may have had some situations where it didn't work out great for you or maybe a physician didn't perform perfectly and there's a result in your health that is, okay, I get it, it happens. But generally speaking, medical science is pretty amazing. They've, they've figured out a lot of stuff to heal you. And, you know, the old joke, you know, okay, they don't always get it right. They're still practicing medicine, you know, okay. But use them, right? I mean, don't be a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, there's, there's a good tip. <laughs> what should you do when you get sick? Go to the doctor. Okay. What else should you do when you get sick? Well, this is letter B. We're not, we looked at it systematically. What should you just do? I'm sick. Go to the doctor. That's what you should do. Letter B, supernaturally. Let's talk about that. Well, what else should you do besides go to the doctor? Well, pray for healing. Pray and ask God. Maybe he'll have mercy and grace on you. Maybe he'll allow you to have your infirmity taken away supernaturally. He has the ability to do that, right? There's nothing wrong with praying for healing, even though it's not the apostolic age. In fact, there's everything right with it. The Bible says we're supposed to pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the last time I checked, everything would include praying about being sick, praying about being healed. 
And a lot of us probably have stories of people that we've known or people we've prayed for where God answered the prayer and they are well. And maybe they went to the doctor and maybe they didn't. And I'm not, that's not the issue. The issue is praise the Lord. He did what only he could do. Well, God is a good God. And he does things like that from time to time. And that's as it is in the case in Acts chapter 5. God was supernaturally healing people. These aren't, he didn't set up a, a, a medical clinic and they brought in highly trained professionals to make sure they had the right you know, medication or whatever the case might be. God was supernaturally healing them. Now, it was by the hands of the apostles, not every believer, but every single one that came out got healed. And so even though the gift of healing was an apostolic gift and it was limited to the first century, there's no question that God most certainly does still heal people physically from time to time. And, and you should pray for that. I pray for that all the time. When I go over the list of the requests that you all turn in and our church comes together and our, our leaders and, and we pray for you all, the ones that are of a physical nature, I always pray that God would heal you. And some of you are still sick and you're like, well, dang. Like, get right with God and pray harder. I'm sorry, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> but God forbid that I should sin against him and you and not at least ask. I don't want it to ever be said that you don't have because you don't ask. Right? So at least we're asking. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? Because God can do what God can do. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I mean, maybe that's my problem. Maybe I'm not effective, fervent, or righteous. Possible. I don't know. But here's the deal. Pray for healing. Maybe God will be good to you. Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But here's what you got to know. You also have to be willing and ready to suffer the sickness. If that be your lot in life. In case God chooses to allow you to remain sick. In case God chooses to allow you to go through some vigorous treatment process that takes a long time and may be difficult and, and whatever the case might be. You have to be okay with that. You have to still trust the Lord and give Him the glory. Right? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But that, because that's what God told Paul about his thorn in the flesh. Those of you who know me and my family, my wife's brother, Arion, has a debilitating lifetime disease, and he's had that affect his body for well over 20 years, and it just keeps getting worse, and we have never ceased to pray that God would do something miraculous. It doesn't appear as though there's a medical science answer for him to stand up straight ever again. And so, you know, we pray for him. But so far, God has not chosen to do that. God has allowed Arion to continue to suffer. And God continues to use Arion in ministry in mighty ways, through, even through his challenges. We have to be willing to do that. But the last one that we need to look at together, what should you do when you get sick? Well, this is something you should also do, and this is actually very important and applicable to us all. So we looked at it systematically, and we looked at it, um, um, what was the last one? Oh, yeah, supernaturally, sorry. And this one now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it spiritually. We need to look at it spiritually, even physical infirmity. And this is important. What should you do? Well, I think that you need to consider whether your sickness might be the result of sin. Is God trying to get your attention? It's a worthy consideration. And so here's, I put this in your notes, you need to understand that God disciplines his children. Like any good parent, a good parent will discipline his children when they need it. And how does a good parent begin to correct a child who's not behaving properly? A good parent begins just by speaking to them and telling them, hey, stop that. Do this, don't do that, right? Good parents always start by telling them and only after they refuse to listen to what you say 
you need to ramp it up into some sort of corporal pressure. We'll just leave it at that. That will get their attention, right? Well, God does the same thing. God desires simply to correct us by speaking to us. But when we find ourselves in sin, what is the first thing that seems to go? We quit reading our Bibles. We might still come to church for a while, and that's important because you hear the Word of God proclaimed. But eventually, maybe even your sin has gotten so deep into your soul that ah, church isn't really a priority anymore either. And you don't really come and hear the preaching of the Word of God. You're not reading the Word of God. You're not hearing the preaching of the Word of God. And you're just not hearing from God anymore. But you're legitimately saved. You're just in sin. So what is God, the good Father, going to do? He's going to ramp it up and he's going to get your attention. He disciplines his children. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, right? And so there can be physical things that happen to you. You might get sick, you might get in a car wreck, something might happen, you never know. Now all those things don't always necessarily equate to sin. I'm just saying you need to at least consider it as a possibility. Hebrews 12 verse 5, My son, so he's speaking to his children, Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth, well, a scourge is a whip. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. For if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? In other words, we're all as children of God flawed we're all sinful at times we all blow it from time to time and we can all expect at some point the lord to rebuke and chasten and scourge us as the need might arise and when it happens take it from the lord as a demonstration of his love for you as his child to be corrected so if you're sick at least consider the possibility that you're in sin. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. If you don't even consider it, well, you're not doing what you should do when you get sick. So the practice of healing, this point that we're looking at, most practically is available, right? That's our title. Healing is available to all of us through salvation, right? Spiritual healing is available to all of us through salvation. So we'll go back to James chapter 5, a couple verses earlier. Notice this, verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It doesn't say the prayer of faith shall heal the sick because some sickness comes as a result of sin. If, if you have been sexually active, you run the risk of getting an STD. I mean, sicknesses can come as the result of sin. Now, we go back to our text in Acts chapter 5. What was the direct result of the miracles and healing by the apostles? Well, we'll jump back in in verse 12 in the parentheses. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest earth no man joined himself unto them, but the people magnified them, verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. You could compare that phrase with Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, where a bunch of people were getting saved, but in Acts 2, 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church, daily such as should be saved so in acts 2 47 they're added to the church and in, in acts 5 14 they're added to the lord well which is it well they're added to the body of christ which is the church the church is the body of christ right and this is the thing that we need to understand about healing today because complete and total healing is available to everyone today. It's just spiritual healing 
of your sin by salvation. And spiritual salvation, there's some things I want you to see, and it won't take long, but let's run through these three points that I have for you, is first of all, number one, the ultimate healing. Because all through the scriptures, the physical pictures the spiritual. Every time Jesus healed somebody, it's because he's trying to illustrate some teaching that he's trying to put forth. What did Jesus say in John 14? Verse number 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So this is another big promise. The Charismatics like it with Hebrews 13, 8. Greater works than Jesus you can do, so you should be out healing people too. Okay, well, let's analyze that for a second, Charismatic friend. Jesus did the physical healings to the point of raising the dead. If you're going to apply it, Physically, what greater work is available? There is nothing greater than raising somebody from the dead. If you're only looking at it physically, right? The only possible way to apply John 14, 12 is to understand the greater works are spiritual works. Because when Jesus would heal somebody physically, they would continue to live, but eventually they would die. And if Jesus raised somebody from the grave, eventually they would live a little while and we know they died again, otherwise they'd still be around somewhere, right? No, they died again. And ultimately what matters is when they died again, where are they spending eternity, right? The spiritual is way more important. So we're not gonna, I'm just, I gave these next three statements in your notes just for you to study on your own, truly. We don't have time to talk about it. But the physical healing ministry of Jesus Christ always taught a lesson, always pictured something. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, the end of the chapter 4, verses 46 to 53, we have Jesus healing the nobleman's son. And that pictures that salvation is by faith. This is the story where he said, hey, come see my son, he's sick. And Jesus just said, I'm not going to go with you, you just go home. And the nobleman says, he believed the word that Jesus spoke. And he got home and he found out his son was healed. And he asked what time to get healed and he compared and he said, well, that was the exact time Jesus spoke. He believed the word of God. Well, it's a picture of your salvation. Your salvation is by faith. Just the next several verses down in the next chapter in John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, is the story of the pool at Bethesda and this weird situation where a bunch of sick people sat around this pool and when the the waters stirred, the first guy in the water got healed. And there was a lame man by the pool of Bethesda and he didn't have the, the physical capability to be the first guy in when the waters stirred. So Jesus showed up and he's like, hey dude, what's your problem? And he says, hey look, I have no man that when the waters are stirred, to put me into the pool. And Jesus said, "Ah, you don't need to go in the pool. Just rise up and walk. You're good. Your your sins are forgiven you. And and so what we see by that lesson, John 5, 1 through 9, Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, pictures that salvation is by grace. That guy couldn't have done it on his own. Jesus just did it for him. And then you could fast forward into the life of Lazarus. And everybody knows Lazarus died and Jesus raised him from the dead. And that picture is that salvation brings new life. Because spiritual healing is way more important than physical healing. So remember I mentioned 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye are healed? No, no. Actually, the words to that song it said are were healed, is what the Bible says. And this is, he bore our sin. What kind of healing is that? What's spiritual healing? Clearly in the context. He bore our sins. We're dead to sins by his stripes, by his death on the cross. We were healed when we put our faith and trust in him. We're we're healed spiritually from our disease of sin and consequential spiritual death. So spiritual salvation is the ultimate healing. And point number two, you can be healers. You, you can be healers. You can have the gift of spiritual healing through the ministry of the work of evangelism. 
It says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 16 that a multitude of people were bringing sick folk to Jesus, or to the apostles, excuse me. Uh, can I just tell you, spiritually speaking, in the context of spiritual healing and salvation, spiritually sick folks aren't going to get spiritually healed if you don't bring them to the source of healing, which is the Lord. We bring people to the Lord so they can experience the spiritual healing that they need. That's what they did in the days of Jesus in His earthly ministry. Matthew 9, 2, And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying in a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then the story goes on, and he healed him, and he got up, and he walked home. So he got healed, and he got saved. But that only happens because his friends brought him to Jesus. Listen, we have a lot of activities around here that afford you the opportunity to invite your lost friends to come. And to be a part, to hear a message that can change their life forever. You can be healers, just spiritual healers. And the last point, number three, and this is the real good news, all can be healed. Every single one that went to the apostles got healed. And every single one that comes to Jesus Christ desiring to be healed spiritually is going to be healed spiritually. Amen? There's no exception. Acts 5.16, they healed everyone. Well, everyone that wanted it. This isn't universal healing. It's not universal salvation. People had to come to Jesus and they had to want to be healed. The physical pictures the spiritual. This is what we see in Matthew 20, 29 to 34. Notice the story. As they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked him, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Jesus stood still and called unto them and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? So these blind guys are shouting out to Jesus, and he's like, All right, bring them up here. He says, What do you guys want? And they go on and they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So he said, Okay. And he healed them. You have to want it. That's the simple thing. You just have to want it. And if you want it, he'll come through for you. Again, this is a spiritual application. And this is the application of Acts chapter 5, miraculous healing that you can make devotionally in your life and ministry today. John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. If you come to Christ sincerely desiring to be saved, he's not going to cast you out. And can I just tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how dirty you think your life has been. It doesn't matter how remorseful or whatever you think it is. Because Romans 5.20 says, But where sin abounded, grace did so much more abound. You can't out-sin God's grace. You can't do it. Sin is a disease, and it kills, and it kills eternity, eternally, excuse me. You don't want to spend your eternity in hell. And healing is available. It's available to each and every one of you. The question is, do you want it? And, and we're done here, but if, if you're not sure that you're saved, if you're not sure, God forbid, your life physically would come to an end before this day comes to an end, you're not sure that you'd have a home in heaven, this healing is available to you today. All you have to do is want it. All you have to do is cry out to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness of your sins and receive Him as your personal Lord and Savior. But for most of you that are already saved, can I tell you, are you actively involved in the ministry of spiritual healing? Are you bringing people to Jesus Christ? Are you actively caring enough to bring them so that if they choose to want to, they too can be saved. You see, the understanding of the ministry of healing is important so you don't get messed up with bad doctrine, but it's important so you're reminded of what we're supposed to be all about. We're supposed to be spiritual healers. And I think there's something we can all take home from this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
for the clear representation from your word about what happened historically and how we apply it doctrinally. But God, I just want to take this second and pray for anybody who's here who's not sure if they're saved. And God, if they would just in sincerity cry out to you, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. And God, I pray that you would just forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life and give me the gift of eternal life. Heal my sin-sick soul and let me walk with you forever. And whether physically my life is with infirmity or not, I'll praise you and love you because one day I'm getting a new body and one day I'm living in glory forever. That's what I want. And Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters here that are wrestling with their responsibility in the ministry of healing, the ministry of evangelism, that we would take the initiative and bring sick folk to you. I pray, God, that you would convict our hearts and you would use us and that we'll be active before we run out of time. We love you and we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.